Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to a special evening edition of Axios Recap. Earlier today, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and other top company executives sat down with leaders of what has become the most widespread ad boycott in Facebook history. Huge brands like Target and Coca-Cola and Ford Motor Company are participating by pulling their paid messaging from Facebook and Instagram for the entire month of July in an effort to force Facebook to better police and remove what they refer to as hate speech. We're with you tonight to speak with four of the boycott organizers who are on today's call with Facebook to learn what happened, their reaction to it, and what comes next. Joining me are Rashad Robinson of Color of Change, Derek Johnson of the NAACP, Jonathan Greenblatt of the Anti-Defamation League, and Jessica Gonzalez of Free Press. Start your morning with the news that matters by listening to Axios Today, a new podcast from Axios. I'm your host, Nyla Boodoo. Give us 10 minutes and we'll give you the latest scoops from the White House and Congress, analysis on the economy, insights into the forces shaping next week, next month, and the next five years. You can hear us every weekday on Axios.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We are joined now by four organizers who are on the call today. Rashad Robinson of Color for Change, Derek Johnson of the NAACP, Jonathan Greenblatt of the Anti-Defamation League, and Jessica Gonzalez of Free Press. Start here with just to each of you explain how your organization and even you personally kind of reached the point that led to this boycott. And Rashad, I guess I'll start with you. What was kind of the tipping point that went from conversations to boycott? It's been ongoing. At Color of Change, we've been engaged to pushing Facebook for the last five years. For a number of years, we have planned and thought about boycotts and pulled back. It was revealed that they had attacked us by hiring a PR firm. But recently, June 1st, Color of Change, along with our friends at the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, met with Mark and Cheryl over Zoom, along with some of their staff. And at the end of that meeting, as we were trying to go back and forth with Mark around Donald Trump's voter suppression post, around the sort of looters and shooters post and why they sort of weren't pulled down, I said to the folks on the screen, what are we doing here, guys? Why are we keep having these conversations? And in my head at that point, I was letting the staff know on my team that we should start thinking about a boycott. What we were pleasantly surprised about is that other folks were also kind of thinking about and having those conversations. And so having conversations with Jonathan, having conversations with Derek, having conversations with the folks at Sleeping Giants and others, we got into this because we all had gotten to a point where we had tried everything and we were not getting sort of the type of changes, results or activation from Facebook. So Jonathan, when you have that conversation with Rashad, does it make sense to you? And kind of how do you go from being frustrated to let's talk to companies and ask them to come off the platforms? You know, we're the oldest anti-hate group in the world. We've been working Silicon Valley for years. We've been actively involved with Facebook literally on almost a daily basis, dealing with extremists and hateful content, where my analysts and experts have helped them to identify what's problematic and what crosses the line. And we've been increasingly frustrated at the failure for them to demonstrate the kind of urgency that we think these issues demand. And so for us, again, it's been building and building. And I'll confess, we get donations from Facebook employees. Like we have relationships with these people. And yet you can't ignore the obvious. And so it was after the death of George Floyd, when we saw white nationalists literally organizing in broad daylight on the platform, how they would subvert the Black Lives Matter protests, how they would undermine them, how they would initiate violence on the streets. And we reached out and we said, this is enough. 
and it didn't get taken down immediately. And we said, this is enough. And I reached out to Derek and I reached out to Rashad and we brought in free press and that kicked it off. So Derek from NAACP, when you get that call, you think, yep, this makes sense or you need convincing? No, it makes sense. We have been engaged with trying to address issues on Facebook platform as well. In fact, in 2018, January, we had a log off Facebook protest when all of the news came out that the platform was being used by Russia to influence the election and they had done nothing to address it. In fact, they had that prior November and December testified before Congress and the New York Times article and Washington Post article that came out really showed that they were very slow in addressing issues that they should have known or knew about. That became really problematic. And it became even more problematic when we realized in one of those articles, they hired a private investigative firm to research Rashad and color change. That's dangerous. And Jessica, for you, your organization kind of advocates for media reform, kind of media democratization. Where do you come in on this? When they called you, was this an obvious thing or did you need convincing? Oh, totally obvious. In fact, we were planning our own boycott and we're very happy to hear that others were as well. It made sense to join up and to unite behind our shared interests here. We've been working for many years now with the Change the Terms Coalition that is calling on big tech platforms to adopt a comprehensive set of content moderation policies to ensure that users and folks off the platform are safe. So this made perfect sense. And, you know, free press, I think, is often seen as like some sort of free speech purist group, but we understand that the press isn't free until it frees people. That free speech isn't free if it doesn't take into account the historical ways that power and oppression have silenced people of color, have silenced folks that are not in the majority. So this perfectly aligns with our mission and we're glad to be a part of the the effort. So several hours ago, you all get a, what, on a Zoom call? Am I right? Is that how you guys did this since we can't actually meet in real rooms anymore? Okay. So you get on a Zoom call. Jonathan, for you, what were your expectations going into the meeting? They were very straightforward. So we put out an agenda on June the 16th at StopHateForProfit.org, a set of 10 recommendations about things they could do that were all simple, Dan, straightforward, and frankly, very achievable. When you say that, did you think that you were going to sit down and Mark and Cheryl and Chris Cox were going to look and say, here's the list. We're going to do these 10 or nine of them. Just to be clear, Dan, so they emailed us and asked for the meeting. Our communication bags them. we have an agenda in that list. Our thought was we go to the meeting today to walk through the agenda and to get from them commitments and timeframes. And look, I used to be a product manager. I've run software engineering teams. That's how it works, Dan. You have a product roadmap that includes milestones and timeframes. That's how you do it. The expectation today was we'll go through the list, we'll understand what their milestones are and what's the time frame to achieve it. And instead, we got no milestones, we got no time frames, we got no details, we really got nothing. And it was far short, I think, of all of our expectations. Derek, how long were you guys on the call and how long into it did you think, at least in your mind, this is not going to be as productive as I was hoping it was going to be? Well, the call lasts about an hour probably within the first two minutes when they begin. Two minutes. 10 minutes, I'm sorry, 10, 10 minutes. minutes. Say. But That's they impressive. begin to shift to say, we want to hear from you about some of your demands. We're thinking like, wait a minute, you have those. We should be hearing from you. You called the meeting. We provided you with the 10 things we would like to see. And it was this dance. And this dance around, well, who's going to take the lead? And 
we were clear, we need you to answer these questions. What are you going to do now? It's great that you're having dialogue. We want to see some action. Where are the outcomes? Rashad, you made a comment in a media call after the Zoom call with Facebook people that you felt that this was largely for Facebook, a PR move. The meeting was a PR move. Why did you feel that way? And particularly given that Color of Change has been working with them on this idea of a civil rights audit for a while, and that is coming out tomorrow. Yeah, so it's the third phase of the civil rights audit. And so the first two phases of the audit have a lot of recommendations that have actually not been implemented. And so part of the challenge here is that we get a lot of sort of visibility. We get a lot of thoughts and prayers around changes, but not actual implementation and action. And I guess why I sort of talked about it as a PR move is because there were sort of a number of statements from Facebook leading up to this meeting over the last, I guess, 36 hours that sort of speak to them not actually showing up ready to deliver on any real changes. Jonathan and Derek both, I think, really clearly laid it out that Facebook did not come They had our demands. And instead of kind of going through them and talking about either why they could make some changes or even why they couldn't, they wanted us to sort of reiterate and talk through them. And so I think in many ways, they are trying to figure out how to communicate to their advertisers that they're trying to work with us, that they're trying to engage with us, that they're trying to make things happen. And all of that is going to happen under the specter of advertisers like Verizon and Coca-Cola and Unilever having their ads show up next to white nationalist content. Because what we're asking Facebook to do is to fix problems that long term are in their own interest to fix. But unfortunately, they have an incentive structure rooted in growth and profit that won't allow them to see it. And that's deeply unfortunate. And that's why I felt like nothing more than a PR move instead of actually working to make real change. Jessica, when I think of the aims of your organization, you said you guys were working on a boycott before this large one kind of coalesced. Other social media companies, Twitter, YouTube for sure, et cetera, have some of these same issues. In fact, often many of these same issues, different formats, but many of the same issues. Why Facebook specifically? Many of those platforms have issues. Many of those platforms have heard from us about those issues. But the fact of the matter is Facebook is the biggest. It reaches the most people and it does the most harm. So that's why the focus on Facebook, I think the blatant arrogance around the advertiser exodus proves that we needed to levy this pressure. And certainly the looters and shooters comment and Facebook's failure to take on calls for violence from the president of the United States certainly renewed the urgency around these calls. Zuckerberg did reverse course, not on the things you asked for specifically, but when it came to some of the political speech and labeling it, you know, he had kind of criticized Jack Dorsey of Twitter as being the, quote, arbiter of truth and then backtracked on that. Do you believe he backtracked because of the advertiser boycott or from pressures even internally at Facebook? We cannot get in his head of why there was a backtrack. We do know looking forward, he has not created a platform to protect society. And that's the real case here. Incremental change will not solve this issue. Media spin will not address the concerns. Our issue here is how do we keep people safe? How do we protect our democracy? And Facebook is not accountable to anything. They're not accountable to any regulatory body. They're not accountable to shareholders because he owns 60% of the shares. They're not accountable to anything but the will of Mark Zuckerberg. That's a dangerous reality that we're living in when you have this behemoth of a company who lacks the sympathy, the care, the concern for the broader community. 
And the thing I want to just add quickly is that even how he made the change, right? In June 1st, when I talked with Mark about sort of his attack on Jack and why would he do that? He tried to like parse that out and explain that he was sort of misquoted in a longer interview. But I will say that even when he kind of scaled that back, he speaks exactly to what Derek said, that it really wasn't that they changed any rules, that he just said that they would sort of do stuff differently. This is the problem with a single person that gets the control a platform with 2.6 billion users as chairperson and CEO has sort of unlimited control over everything is that he can make each of these decisions sort of what he thinks. And Mark Zuckerberg knows about as much about civil rights and voting rights as I do about coding the back end of a Facebook platform. Derek said something so important, like when one person isn't accountable to anything, at one point in the meeting, Mark said near the end, we're not meeting with you because of the boycott. And Shell reinforced, we're not doing this for advertisers. Dan, as we said to them, the only reason we met was because of this boycott. Wait, can I push you on that? Because Rashad talked about meeting with them on June 1st. That was before the boycott. Not all of you, but him. Yeah, but the four of us have never met with Mark Zuckerberg right. together. There'd be no reason why they would send a note and meet with the four of us. They were only meeting with the four of us collectively together because um, the of the boycott. He was meeting with me and two other leaders because we had sent a letter about some things related to the audit. And so they were responding in both senses to demands from the outside. Jessica, can I ask you on the boycott, there has been data showing kind of in response to this, that even if you take kind of the hundred top advertisers on Facebook in terms of money spent, it's still a relatively small percentage of Facebook revenue. The Facebook still makes most of its money from small, mid-sized local businesses, not from Coke, not from Target, not from Dunkin'. When you think about that and look at that, why in the context of that do you think that this boycott, the ad part of it, got all of you around the virtual table today? Why are we here right now? This has been all over the press. This is a disaster for Facebook, unmitigated. We've come to the table again and again with them, asking for them for change. Now we have their advertisers coming after them. So they can say what they want. No one thought that we were going to transform Mark Zuckerberg from a billionaire into a millionaire through this process, but they are responding to pressure. It is working. And we're learning a lot about their business model and the dominance they have over small businesses. Jonathan, let me just ask final thing for you, which is we had an executive from Ben and Jerry's on last week talking about this boycott. And I asked him, I said, what is it you want from Facebook? And he said, well, what I want Facebook to do is sit around the table with the four of you. That part has happened. What do you now say to the advertisers, the nearly 1000 brands that have signed on to this? You've sat around the table. They all agreed to pause paid advertising for the month of July. You now say to them what? I would say to them, you don't want your ads subsidizing hate. We launched this campaign, this pause, because your ad dollars indeed were subsidizing extremism, racism, anti-Semitism, and hate. It had to stop. We sat with Facebook today, and they didn't tell us it would stop. We asked for specifics, and they couldn't give us any. We asked for commitments, and they couldn't give us any. We will turn to the advertisers, and we've gotten calls this afternoon because they want to know what comes next. We're putting together our plans now, but Dan, this isn't going away and this will only grow. Three weeks ago, zero companies. Today, almost a thousand. This will grow. Rashad, for you, should I assume that you will ask advertisers who've suspended for July to expand beyond July? 
We're going to have conversations with advertisers, but we're also focusing on this month right now on the fact that Mark and Cheryl said that they were going to come back to us. A lot of advertisers have already said they're staying out through the end of the year, but we're also going to see what Mark and Cheryl do over the course of this next several weeks after having this conversation. What I want everyone to understand is that we have been incredibly reasonable here. For the last several years, we've been back and forth with meetings. They invited us into a conversation after we sent them demands, and we went in there and had to reiterate our demands. We want to actually solve this problem. We do not want to be in perpetual boycott, but we will do everything we can to protect the safety and security of our people and to protect our elections in this country. And unfortunately, because Facebook stands on the other side of that, we are grateful that corporations are willing to stand in the gap and do what they can in this moment to make sure that our democracy doesn't go down in the tubes because a corporation has amassed too much power. Derek, it's feasible for companies to disengage from Facebook, from ad strategies at least. How difficult, though, is it for organizers? You see so many of the protests, for example, over the past month. A lot of those have been organized by using Facebook as a tool, using Instagram as a tool. Can the community, any community really, disengage from Facebook the way advertisers can? That's the problem. It's a monopoly. There is no competitor. There is no equivalent. And when you look at this coalition, it looks like the protesters in the street. And when you look at the protesters in the street, it looks like America. But Facebook has disregard for the diversity of who we are and would allow white supremacist groups to use the platforms to gather and cause harm to the communities that will go out of protest for the America that we all want to live in. This platform has gained so much power that there is no accountability metrics. It is incumbent upon our groups, the groups you see here, representing a very diverse population, to begin to push back because the future harm could be even more devastating than any of us could predict. We will have to leave it there. I want to thank Jessica, Derek, Jonathan, Rashad. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Start your mornings with the news that matters by listening to Axios Today and join me, your host, Nyla Boodoo. Every weekday, I'll be talking to a team of award-winning journalists bringing you insights into the trends shaping our world. Visit us at Axios.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome back. We reached out to Facebook to see if they wanted to have a representative on this episode, and they declined, but they did send over a statement, and I want to read it in full. So this is from a Facebook spokesperson, quote, This meeting was an opportunity for us to hear from the campaign organizers and reaffirm our commitment to combating hate on our platform. They want Facebook to be free of hate speech, and so do we. That's why it is so important that we work together to get this right. As a company, we have agreed to an independent civil rights audit, which will be released tomorrow. We've invested billions in people and tech to keep hate off our platform. We've created new policies to prohibit voter and census interference and have launched the largest voting information campaign in American history. We've banned more than 250 white supremacist organizations and are holding ourselves accountable by producing regular reports about our content moderation efforts. We know we will be judged by our actions, not by our words, and are grateful to these groups and many others for their continued engagement." End quote. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great national macaroni day. And we'll be back tomorrow with a regular episode of Axios Recap.